It is 2.03 on Thursday, September 29th. That means it's time for Throwback Saturday with your host, Peter Howarth. We're going to break down everything that's happening across the NFL, NBA, and MLB and turn it into uh, statistics and break those down and try to contextualize everything that's happening through uh, numbers. Uh, so last week, we talked about a variety of things, uh, notable, notably some upcoming rule changes in each of the leagues and uh, what that may mean for some things like records that could or could not be broken uh, and things like that. But at the end, we touched on a set called a EPA, which is expect- Expected Points Added. And um, it's a good way to tell uh, how an individual player uh, is impacting uh, either the game currently or how it could impact the outcome of the game based off of how many points they're creating. Uh, and so we, I just wanted to touch on this to see uh, how the uh, how the numbers have changed from week to week. Uh, week three is now done. Uh, coming into last week, we we're looking at uh, the stats through week two. So uh, at the top of the total points, uh, expected points added, is still Stephon Diggs because uh, he is still making a great impact uh, um, per play basis, but also he, he plays at a ton. Now, he did not uh, play the full game last week in Miami when Buffalo uh, lost to the Dolphins uh, due to uh, he left the game early due to heat-related cramps. Uh, I think he said it's the only time uh, he's had to do that in his career, and uh, you know Buffalo will not be visiting Miami again this season. It'll be coming up to Buffalo where it'll be much colder, so I don't expect that to be anything to monitor moving forward. He fully practiced on Wednesday, which was yesterday uh, at the time we're recording this, so uh, I would not play into it. And at the same time, he's making a great impact on a per-play basis as well. Uh, uh, number two, though, uh, someone that you probably wouldn't think of if you're trying to think of elite receivers um, in general, although if you've been following this season tightly, you you may have heard of this name. It is Mac Hollins for the Las Vegas Raiders uh, at 25.877 expected points added. Now, I'm not really going to dive much into like what that means because it's sort of irrelevant. Um more so just showing how uh, impactful um, this player has been and someone that is not across a lot of radars. Um, And he's also one of the leaders in expected points added per play, number fourth in the league, uh, which is uh, something to take note of because while he's second in total expected points added in the league, he's doing it on a far uh, lower basis because Diggs has had 36 such plays and Hollins only has 21. So uh, now, a lot of this as is due to situation because uh, Hunter Enfro missed last game uh, and he was uh, ineffective when he was playing due to some untimely fumbles, which um, take a, are very heavily weighted in terms of expected points added because when you turn the ball over, uh, it, it, it decreases your expected points added and by giving the opponent the ball, It'll take longer for you to get the ball back, which um, also uh, lowers your expected points added. Uh, number three is uh, Cortland Sutton, who has been a shining spot, uh, a bright spot for the Broncos, even if they've had inconsistent play and a trusted target of Russell Wilson so far. Number four is Jalen Waddle, who has been exploiting defenses uh, across from Tyreek Hill. It's, it's tough for defenses to focus in on both of them due to their speed and the ability for Tua Tagovailoa to get them the ball 
And uh, depending on how much time we have left at the end of the show today, we might get into um, some forecasting and looking some at some team stats for the Bengals and the Dolphins as they square off tonight on Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime. Granted, this will, if you're listening to this uh, through a podcast, this will come out Friday morning, so you will know the results of the game. But hey, we'll see if maybe uh, everything that these teams have shown us this year through uh, team stats, if they were a correct indication of uh, the future outcome of uh, tonight's game on Thursday Night Football. Now, some of the other names uh, do make a lot of sense uh, at the top of the roster uh, in terms of A.J. Brown, uh, Devin Duvernay, who has been very effective for the Baltimore Ravens, uh, certainly in terms of special teams play as well. Uh, Travis Kelsey, T. Higgins, Christian Kirk. Um, so a lot of those names uh, make a lot of sense. So it is more so returning to the norm. And so uh, something else I wanted to touch about is, again, we're talking about the upcoming rule changes uh, in various leagues. And uh, one of those for the NBA is the increased penalty on transition take fouls. So if you uh, commit a foul, uh, that a take foul, which is uh, you know, more so a, a, a foul that is not related to the game, um, like a non-competitive foul, I believe is the way that FIBA describes it. Um, so anyway, this is from Joe Dumars, who is the NBA head of basketball operations. Uh, he relayed this to Mark Jones of ESPN that there were 1,700 transition f- take fouls last season. Um, and so you'll, you would expect that number to go down with the uh, upgraded penalties with uh, one shot plus possession of the ball. Um, so that will uh, take a hit down from that. Now, when I saw that number, 1,700, um, Mark Jones even included the eyeballs emoji in his tweet. Um, you know, it's, it sounds like a big number, but just to put it in some context, there are uh, 1,230 uh, NBA regular season games every year playing on an 82-game regular season schedule. Um, so that means there is, you know, basically one and a half transition take fouls per game total. Um, so that means, like, each team commits three-quarters of a foul. Um, so it's not like it's some gigantic number. So just to get um, have some context on that 1,700 number. Um, but I just thought it was important to uh, put that in context. And uh, I'm not sure how <laughs> I'll, I'll try to delve more into where I can find some of these total numbers because based off the way that Dumars had to come out and say it, I don't know how readily available these numbers are to uh, the, the common fan per se. Um, but I, again, I would expect this number to go down uh, next year and in the coming years unless there is some other rule change that could lead to this being more of an advantage. I do not anticipate that, and I would not anticipate that um, as a fan. Um, So moving forward to what we're going to talk about today, um, some uh, interesting new stats, actually. Um, Not necessarily new stats, but a a better way to take data and to put it in a way that makes it more accessible to fans and it makes it easier to um, interpret uh, player performances through numbers. Uh, we'll be looking at uh, baseball and the NFL uh, more specifically because the NBA season, uh, while media day has started this week across the league, uh, the first preseason games won't be starting until this weekend with the regular season coming to a start, I believe, on October 17th, uh, where the Warriors will be, I believe, taking on the Lakers in, in the Chase Center and uh, having their ring ceremony 
Uh, the Celtics also host the Philadelphia 76ers that night. There may be another game or two. Those are just the two I know off the top of my head as those were the teams that were in last year's NBA Finals. Um, so a little time to go until then. So uh, in that time, we'll talk about baseball as the regular season comes to a close. So this is from uh, Baseball Savant. If you do not know, uh, Baseball Savant is it is a... Uh, I've talked about them in the past, um, but they are a, one of the best sites in terms of uh, viewing advanced uh, statistics through the StatCast era. StatCast is a way that uh, numbers have been... Um, uh, more consistently, uh, data has been more consistently um, sort of uh, taken, uh, I guess, I believe it's since 2012, and it it's leads to more accurate and consistent data uh, in numbers such as uh, like exit velocity and launch angle. Those are some of the ones that uh, have been more popular when talking about baseball in recent years in terms of uh, hitting and home runs, but also uh, pitch velocity. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about it um about who has thrown like the hardest pitch ever but because there's been lots of inconsistent ways on how to measure uh pitch velocity is it being um taken at the time of the release uh of the ball is it being taken somewhere in between is it being taken when it reaches home plate and rule changes have shifted that too i mean uh they have brought the the mound in and out over the years um it's, it's not the same uh, situation and context when Christy Mathewson or Walter Johnson was throwing as it was when Bob Gibson, as it was when it's Nolan Ryan, as it is when it's Jacob deGrom. So, uh, but basically since, again, I believe it is 2012, with the implementation of StatCast, it has allowed us to uh, view these numbers with a lot less um, uh, grains of salt and, and being able to interpret and compare these numbers a lot more accurately. That's why Sometimes you'll see numbers and be like the highest since 2012 or like the highest exit velocity in the StatCast era or the uh, longest home run hit in the StatCast era because it is the easiest way to uh, view these numbers. Uh, so uh, anyways, what they have, uh, a new stat they have really uncovered at Baseball Savant, which I think is just fascinating. I don't know if it's the most useful, um, but it is an arm strength leaderboard. So what it does is it, uh, takes the strength of arms and uh, it, it does it in a way like OPS Plus does or something that we discussed uh, in our first show of the year, which is a way for you to take a stat like OPS and compare it across the league. So there it is standardized so that there is an average and that uh, you know, if, uh, anywhere from 0 to 100, uh, closer to 100 is a, uh, a better performance. Uh, this also does take into account uh, positionality, so where arm strength would be more important. So uh, right field is more valuable than center field, which is more valuable than left field, which is more valuable than shortstop, than third base, than second base, than first base. So if you have a big arm at first base, um, you know, it, it's just not as useful. So that being said, uh, in terms of the uh, outfielders, because, again, like we said, right field is the most uh, valuable position in that, Ronald Acuna has the strongest arm in the league at a uh, 97.7 overall ranking. Uh, this is also filtered by a minimum of 100 throws, which is the lowest um, uh, denominator you can set on Baseball Savant. But uh, just some names that jump out at me uh, that either are considered good defenders 
or aren't considered good defenders and where they lie on uh, this chart. Uh, Julio Rodriguez is number 12. We all know he has a big arm. In terms of all outfielders, Hunter Renfro lies 10th on the list. Um, he has always been known for having a big arm, um, but having limited range. So it makes sense that uh, him being this high in terms of his arm strength, uh, you know, again, defensive stats are not perfect uh, between UZR or DRS, which is a defensive run saved. It's not, there's not a uh, best way to define uh, fielding statistics. So that's why um, seeing it done, even though just arm strength through the lens of stat cast is a promising development. Um, going farther down the list, Aaron Judge is number 21 in all outfielders. Um, he has a big arm and uh, he has been playing both center and right field this year. So his right field numbers are slightly better than center field numbers. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer and Jackie Bradley Jr. follow him at number 22 and 23. We all know Jackie has a big arm. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer, one of the premier defenders in all of baseball. Uh, let's go down to the bottom of the list and see some of the uh, more of the noodle arms in the league, per se. In uh, last place is Corey Dickerson. Uh, he was always known for his bat, um, certainly in Tampa Bay. So uh, now that he's uh, with the Cardinals, uh, it does show that uh, maybe he is more of a DH. And the Cardinals have relied on Albert Pujols at the DH, so it makes sense that um, he's had to play more of the outfield, and, and maybe he's not suited for that with his uh, weaker arm. Uh, going uh, from the bottom, uh, Christian Yelich is fifth to last. Uh, again, Christian Yelich is... Um, his value is brought from his bat, uh, his ability to uh, get on base as well as drive runs in. Um, he has faltered in recent seasons after his MVP performance uh, a couple of years ago, but he he uh, you know he has flashes. He's still a very good player uh, for the Brewers, who have been surging lately. And uh, it is a very tightly contested wild card race in the National League. Um, yeah, again, some of these uh, lower numbers make a lot of sense too because. Uh, a lot of these players' primary value is brought from their bat and not their uh, glove, or in this case, their arm. Uh, Kyle Schwarber is 145th out of 153 uh, qualified outfielders. Uh, Schwarber is known for hitting home runs and having good plate discipline, and he's also a good table setter at the top of the lineup for the Phillies. So that's where his value is derived. 143rd is Mark Canna, who's been good this year for the Mets after coming over from the Oakland Athletics. Um, some other names pretty far down the list. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon, 139. I'm sure if we if these stats were available from years past, McCutcheon would be higher, but he is entering the twilight of his career. It's glad glad to see him still out there competing, though. Um, uh, Whit Merrifield, 134. Now he has played second base, center field, and right field this year. Um, so I, having that defensive versatility is an advantage. But at the same time, uh, maybe he is more suited for uh, an infield position. Um, now, just looking at someone else who has like similar versatility as Merrifield, but has a, a bigger arm, we'll look at uh, Kike Hernandez for the Red Sox. He's 46th out of that uh, 150 or so players. So he's in that uh, upper third. Um, uh, even though he's only pretty much primarily played center field this year, um, it is because he has a big arm and he was rated as one of the top defenders last year and we can see based off uh, this stat that it is not being uh, totally because of his range that he has the arm to back it up he made a lot of great throws down the stretch for the Red Sox last year that defensive out outfield was very solid with Renfro's big arm and right 
Uh, he was one of the higher players in terms of outfield assists last year. Uh, and then Kike in center field, uh, then Alex Perdugo in left field, a bit of a weaker arm. But um, the left field in Boston uh, is a little uh, is brought a little closer in, so that is not as big of a uh, factor. So I just wanted to take a look at that because I think it's a very fascinating stat, and it's something to, to keep in mind um, just moving forward as a way to better see player value and, and why a guy maybe will is in the lineup if he's scuffling as a hitter and if you look at a run such or rather you look at a stat such as uzr or drs and you're trying to figure out um you know why that guy's in the lineup could be because he's a big arm again outfield assists um as i mentioned with hunter renfro earlier isn't perfect either because you will oftentimes get respect from uh a third base coach or a runner on first or second base or third base that they won't run on you because well i know i'm gonna get thrown out i know that guy has a big arm such as uh, mookie betts gets a lot of honor for that because uh he is known for being one of the premier defenders in baseball and right field and also for having a big arm so uh, they they won't run on him and if they do run on him they'll make them pay so I, so outfield assists is a, a wonky stat i mean there is still merit to it but um, just keep that in mind. Um, so that's all we have uh, in terms of arm strength. Now, moving on to the NFL, uh, there were some uh, interesting uh, stats I found too. Now, this is coming from ESPN. They have been developing a new metric to help um, better accurately define how well uh, receivers are playing. So these are considered RTM uh, which is receiver tracking metrics. Um, and now these aren't fully fleshed out in terms of fully launched, but uh, they have released some of these stats so we can help figure out what they are. Now, RTM is similar to uh, a stat like OPS Plus, so it is standardized. It is on a 0 to 99 scale, where 50 is uh, roughly the league average. So you can say, oh, are they uh, better than league average, uh, worse than league average, etc.? Um, and so they break it down into uh, multiple tiers. So you can say, um, or rather you can see how good a player is at uh, uh, getting open versus um, getting catches or um, creating yards after the catch or yak. So it does break it down into those categories, which they call open score, catch score, yak score, and then the overall combination of those three. Um, so let's just take a look at some of these now again they're not like perfect stats because uh, i don't believe any a stat is perfect and um so yeah let's just get started at these so some of the best overall seasons in the since 2017 um overall so again uh, combining that open score catch score and yak score a lot of these um seasons or players will make a lot of sense we have antonio brown in 2017 michael thomas in 2018 and 19 DeAndre Hopkins in 2017, A.J. Brown in 2019, Stephon Diggs, Justin Jefferson, and Devontae Adams in 2020, uh, Cooper Cup's 2021 season, and then Michael Thomas in 2017. So this, I mean, all those names are some of the top receivers. Uh, also, tight ends are included in this, so uh, we will certainly see them as we come up. But I just think it's important to uh, keep that in mind. So that, you know, if uh, the eye test or just pure stats of receptions and yards and touchdowns um, 
you know, they, they do translate into the stats. So, I mean, all those names are, again, big names, and they're names you'd think you'd see on this list. So let's start uh, with what we're seeing this season. So these are the best wide receiver and tight end open scores this season, a minimum of 12 targets. Um, so how, how good uh, these players are in, in terms of getting open for their quarterbacks this year. Number one is Tyler Lockett. They 91 open score, which is the best in the league. Um, so I, that's very encouraging um, for if you're a fantasy owner or if you're a Seahawks fan that uh, his value isn't all derived from Russell Wilson. Um, you know, that, would, w- that was a question because of what he's done with uh, some elite players. And then as they've left, um, you've seen some production drop off. Well, that's just because Russell Wilson playing with him brings a lot of value. But also, Tyler Lockett is good on his own. Number two, Deontay Johnson at an 84 open score. This also makes a lot of sense because uh, he has been able to make an impact for the Steelers uh, regardless of who he's been throwing in the ball, whether it's been Ben Roethlisberger or uh, Mason Rudolph or the other guy. I can't think of his name. Uh, man, I can't think of his name. Or uh, even this year in Mick Strubisky. Uh, he finds a way to get open and... Even if he doesn't always get the best ball delivered or he does have a drop problem, um, as has been well documented, um, he still finds a way to get open, and there's a lot of value in that. Number three, though, uh, is Mark Andrews. We all know he is a uh, favorite target of Lamar Jackson. Um, Part of that is because he gets open. He gets open over the middle. He can also run seam routes. He's one of the best... Um, receiving tight ends now uh, his blocking is a little more suspect um, than someone like George Kittle or the uh, retired for now Rob Gronkowski but Mark Andrews finds a way to get open for Lamar Jackson and that's where a lot of his value lies Uh, we saw that against the New England Patriots last week even if he made some pretty acrobatic catches um, he still finds a way to get open for Lamar Uh, so let's just uh, keep going Uh, through the list Uh, let's look at some of the worst receiver and tight end open scores uh, for this season Um, so these are the guys who they they just don't get open for their for their um, quarterbacks and again that this doesn't mean that they're bad players per se because they can bring a lot of value in their catch score so they can do a good job of catching contested uh, balls or or, or, um, you know balls in the air or they might have a very good yak score. So if you find a way to get them the ball, they, they can uh, break tackles and get downfield and create, uh, again, yards after the catch, which is what yak stands for. So some of the worst receiver and tight end open scores this season, uh, last in the league, is Jahan Dotson, uh, rookie receiver for the Washington Commanders. So he has been blanketed pretty, um, uh, pretty tightly this season. Um, which has translated to, um, you know, he just hasn't been able to get open, such as uh, when he was lined up against Jeff Okuda of the Detroit Lions. Now, Dotson is a good jump ball receiver. He's a big target. Um, and so, I mean, his if you look at his stat lines, it's been pretty solid for a rookie receiver, but that may not be because he's getting open, as indicated by the stat. Some of the names pretty far down the list, too. Uh, I'm going to highlight two Patriots here. Uh, Devontae Parker with a 35, tied for 81st. And Jacoby Myers with a 37, tied for 78th. One thing that uh, 
has stood out about Patriots receivers when looking at advanced stats is that they do not create separation. So they do not, um, you know, either burn their guy or run a good enough route that it, it creates uh, a separation so that the quarterback can throw to a open receiver. So, uh, I, so while they have very low open scores, which is concerning, especially if Mac Jones is well, now Brian Hoyer's decision making has been uh, more suspect than you'd hope for someone that's been uh, praised for their decision making, not their necessarily their athletic ability then you'll have to rely on Devontae Parker's uh, catch score, which is, is higher, uh, notably higher. Uh, we saw it last week in his performance against the Ravens where he caught a lot of contested catches, uh, more uh, jump balls along the sideline, um, big plays on uh, important third downs, even if it didn't lead to a win for the Patriots. It was a his breakout game ever since he was traded in the offseason from the Miami Dolphins. So, I mean, that's all I have on, on open scores. But I, I think it's a uh, it's a very good way to um, see, uh, you know, the, the value of receivers. Because it, you can look at stuff like targets where, where, um, or uh, uh, routes run um, because you can have receivers out there that they're not running a, a route. They're just out there to block, and there's not a lot of value in that. Um, and obviously targets is very important because even if it's not being translated into catches, um, either maybe it's due to throwaways or, or bad throws, um, having the ball being thrown that way could be a future indication of catches, which leads to yards and which leads to touchdowns, uh, which is obviously what you want, um, not only in the NFL, but again, if, if you're paying attention to these stats it's probably due to your fantasy player so you want your guys to have high volume of opportunities and a high target share of the offense um so yeah so this isn't a fully fleshed out stat yet they are still in the process of launching it uh espn with 538 is being led by one of their um senior uh sports uh, data analysts uh brian burke he does great work i uh, Ryan me accidentally, but I uh, he's a good Twitter follower, so they will be launching these RTMs uh, again, receiving tracking, uh, receiver tracking metrics uh, next month in conjunction with 538, where you'll be able to view these updated numbers every week. This is just a snapshot that they provided on ESPN.com, so I thought they were important enough to share with you all. Um, so when we come back after the break, we are going to get into. Um, some quarterback numbers and some other things that stand out uh, through three weeks. And then we will get to a preview of Thursday Night Football between the Cincinnati Bengals and uh, the Miami Dolphins. So all of that coming up after the break. Back from the break, this is something that uh, I I guess I sort of uh, previewed earlier because we were talking about the Patriots and the Ravens and how the Ravens were um, able to take the win last Sunday, uh, even if the Patriots were um, having a, a better breakout performance in terms of uh, deep plays. Um, and part, a lot of that is due to the great play of Lamar Jackson. He has been playing uh, great this year as a passer, which uh, when he is being able to throw with accuracy in addition to what he can do uh, rushing the football, um, that's where he thrives, and it brings the the Ravens to really... A uh, higher level. So, 
Uh, he, in terms of how he rates in terms of EPA per attempt, so it is taking uh, what we talked about and expected points added and breaking it down uh, per attempt, uh, how these quarterbacks rate uh, while they are blitzed or versus while they are not blitzed. So the best quarterbacks in EPA per attempt in terms of uh, blitz versus not blitz. Looking at not blitz, number one league is Jalen Hurts. He's performed great this year. Um, then the the next handful uh, are uh, Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes, the Chargers with Justin Herbert, the Miami Dolphins with Tua Tagovailoa, and the Patriots with Mac Jones. So while there's not blitz, these quarterbacks have found a great way to sit in the pocket and um, uh, create value for their teams. Um, and so again, some of those numbers make a lot of sense at the top. An- another one that is high up is uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, their quarterback, um, uh, Trevor Lawrence, who has performed better this season under head coach uh, Doug Peterson instead of Urban Meyer. Um, simply that head coaching upgrade alone uh, is a huge upgrade for them. But uh, second year in the uh, NFL, um, being more comfortable with uh, NFL preparation and even with his own offense and Trevor Lawrence has um, led to him playing better. Also, they brought in Christian Kirk. Uh, Travis Etienne, one of his favorite targets from college, is finally healthy. So uh, it is all coming together very nicely for the Jaguars. Now, in terms of the worst quarterbacks in EPA per attempt when not blitz, so these are quarterbacks where you don't even need to send that many guys and <laughs> they're not they're not creating a lot of value. Uh, not surprisingly, at the bottom of the list is the Carolina Panthers and uh, Baker Mayfield. He is just not been great this year and and the Panthers have keep on kicking the tires on on what will work at quarterback they lost Matt Corral in the preseason I believe he's out for the season I would have to double check that Sam Darnold is on IR whom they tried last year Baker Mayfield is this year's attempt at trying to find a guy for them and he has not been great either so you know I don't know how long the leash is on Matt Rule because he has not uh delivered results and now you can make the excuse that um, the quarterbacks have been suboptimal, and then once he finds his guy, then it'll elevate everything. But you know, how many guys is he going to bring in that um, he is not able to, to fix or help or to or to coach the success, um, especially when the a- the NFC South uh, doesn't look as strong as it used to be. I mean, the Saints under uh, Jameis Winston and without their uh, Sean Payton have been. Um, a little underwhelming, certainly offensively. Uh, Alvin Kamara has been banged up, but Michael Thomas, who now has a bit of a, a foot thing, ha- has been effective. They they traded up for Chris Olave in the first round, and they expected him to make a big impact, and he's been good so far. They also brought in Jarvis Landry. That's a competent receiver core, but it hasn't translated the best for the Saints. The Falcons are in a state of limbo as well in the South. They brought in Marcus Mariota, and he's... Um, He's been okay for them, and the end after drafting Kyle Pitts high last year, that offense has signs of life. But again, that is not a contending team, and I think the Buccaneers have looked uh, vulnerable after their receiving core has been decimated with Mike Evans being suspended for a game, Chris Godwin uh, having a hamstring injury after he was, uh, in my opinion, rushed from coming back from a late season ACL tear last year, and then Julio Jones, who was brought in, he has his own injuries as well. So they've had to re- rely on Russell Gage, who's also banged up, uh, Scotty Miller. They they brought in 
Uh, Cole Beasley did the practice squad, and he, uh, I believe he had a drop or two in uh, last week's game against the Green Bay Packers. So they're struggling there. Um, at, again, the, the Buccaneers are still a clear favorite in that division, and I still think they are a threat to come out of the NFC. But um, in the meantime, they have not performed well, and there was a bit of an opening for the Panthers to... Um, play better and maybe take an early lead in the NFC South, but that has not been the case. Um, again, so farther down on that EPA per attempt uh, when not blitzed are the Steelers with Mitch Trubisky. Not too surprising. The Cowboys with their combination of Dak Prescott and Cooper Rush. Uh, not too surprising. Uh, but one that I find uh, very interesting is uh, the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow ha- are somewhat low on this list because if you're penciling one thing about the Bengals is uh, after the Super Bowl certainly is that they had to pr- improve the offensive line because uh, he was being Joe Burrow was getting uh, blitzed a lot and uh, constantly under duress and hit a lot and while uh, on paper they improved it they've still gotten their fair share of blitzes but even when not against the blitz Burrow has been uh, below average uh, when looking through the lens of EPA per attempt uh, so let's uh, flip the script here. I'm looking at EPA per attempt uh, when blitzed. So when, if you're under pressure, which quarterbacks have uh, delivered and, and been able to um, put their team in positions to uh, add points. Uh, so at the top of the list by healthy margin is uh, the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson. So this is something I previewed. He, he His EPA per attempt when blitz is right about at one, which is... Um, higher than than any team when not blitzed so he is really taking advantage of teams that are deciding to send pressure his way um so this could uh be through throwing the ball and i think his legs play a big factor into this because he's able to get out of the pocket buy more time and find whatever receivers are in single coverage or maybe open due to you know uh the defense bringing more numbers his way uh, number two is the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is a professional. This isn't too surprising to me. Um, he, he, I would presume for the most part, he can diagnose when a blitz is coming so that uh, even if it's coming, uh, he, uh, he knows it's coming and, and he can go to his reads, make his reads quickly and, and find the single coverage and get it to him, even if his receivers have been underwhelming. Christian Watson um, with his drops, and he was, he was out last week. Uh, Sammy Watkins uh, now out for some time uh, but uh, rookie Romeo Dobbs stepped up last week and we could see um, a bigger role for him in this offense uh, again some of the top teams in EPA per attempt when blitz blitzed uh, the Buffalo Bills with Josh Allen top quarterbacks in the league makes sense then Mitch Trubisky uh, I don't know how to read into that <laughs> Because it seems in a clean pocket he's not been great, but when the when the blitz is coming, he's been able to deliver. I, I don't know what to think of that, um, to be honest with you. Um, I'd have to look more into the numbers, but uh, that's something that stands out to me worth considering. I guess do not blitz against Mitch. Just let him, uh, you know, make his own mistakes. Don't give him an opening to find single coverage or a guy who's open. Uh, so some of the worst quarterbacks uh, in the league while blitzed in terms of EPA per attempt. New England Patriots are dead last. Mac Jones, under, when blitzed, has not been able to to make his reads quick enough and to find a uh, receiver who's open. And again, as I referenced earlier, 
Patriots receivers are some of the lowest in the league in getting open and creating separation. So that's why in a clean pocket, when Mac has more time to find guys and, and receivers have more time to get open and run their routes, uh, he's been a better quarterback. Also low on the list are the Chicago Bears with Justin Fields. He has just been pretty abysmal, and that Bears offense is one of the worst in the league. Uh, even if they perform better with uh, Cleo Herbert emerging after David Montgomery left the game last week. Fields just has not been a great answer, and I was one who thought, or rather, who I wanted the Patriots to draft Fields um, because I liked uh, his his leadership style. Um, he was a higher-ranked prospect than Mac Jones. Mac was maybe a second or third-round pick, but due to um, the way he, he shot up the boards, um, he, uh, he eventually became a, a mid-first-round pick. Um, some thought he would maybe go as high as three to the 49ers after they traded up. Uh, of course, they went with Trey Lance, and the trickle-down effect uh, ended up with the Patriots uh, grabbing Mac, not needing to trade up, which at the time was great. Um, and I still think Mac Jones will be a good quarterback, but um, he might need, an, uh, considering how much money the Patriots have been spending at the skill positions, receiver and tight end, the production they're getting out of them is not great. And while you have um, who a quarterback who seems to be above average on a rookie-scale deal, which is one of the biggest advantages in the NFL, having a good quarterback who's making, uh, I guess, chump change for the position, you have to take advantage of that. I've talked about this before in other, in other realms where... Uh, if you look at some teams who have made it deep into the playoffs, it is because they are able to spend elsewhere on the roster and, and have a really solid core around that quarterback. You see the Chargers doing it around Justin Herbert. The Bengals did it a lot last year around Joe Burrow, and they even uh, doubled down on this offseason after they made it so far, even with their flaws. The Ravens around Lamar Jackson. Uh, a couple years ago, before he got his massive contract extension, the Chiefs around Patrick Mahomes, but now that Patrick Mahomes is making so much money, uh, you know, the money got tight in Kansas City, and that's why you saw Tyreek Hill. He wanted to get the money he thought he deserved as one of the best receivers in the league, and Miami was able to do that, and Miami has Tua Tagovailoa under a rookie-scale contract, and that's why they're able to spend big bucks on Xavier Howard and Byron Jones and Tyreek Hill. Uh, and then two of the other uh, worst quarterbacks uh, when when uh, blitz this season in terms of EPA per attempt are the Colts. Matt Ryan have just been a completely underwhelming team. Um, most thought that they would be able to take control of the AFC South considering the state of that division with Tennessee trading their best receiver in A.J. Brown who is still young and just not doing a lot in the offseason. Many didn't believe in the Jaguars, even if they have uh, very much performed above expectations. And then the Houston Texans, uh, I mean, Davis Mills had a solid rookie year, but still not a lot of optimism. It's not considered one of the stronger divisions in the NFL. Um, um, and with the Colts core and the addition of Matt Ryan, many believe that, you know, that'd be enough to lead them to the division, but they have scuffled so far. Even I've, I think they are 1-1-1. One, one, and one. They upset the Chiefs uh, last week. They uh, tied against the Texans in week one. 
and uh, I believe they lost in uh, week two. I'd have to double check that. And then the fourth worst team uh, in the league in EPA per attempt when blitz is the Carolina Panthers. And so like I referenced, Baker has just been abysmal for them. And I don't know if that's the answer. DJ Moore is also uh, very much aggressed this year in his open score. So DJ Moore, uh, their best uh, target uh, at the receiving position, uh, their biggest weapon still Christian McCaffrey. DJ Moore isn't getting open for Baker and he's um so Baker has not been able to deliver to them and I that's been a, a big uh you know hamper on them uh so those are just some observations I found off this one stat I it's just uh interesting like to look at um and you know as I sort of have been talking about it for the last like 10 minutes there's a lot you can interpret from that I mean, there's more to it there's always more stats you can look at there's always more numbers you can try to piece together to try to create the whole story and where teams need to improve and where they've struggled so far but just from that that is what i was able to derive um so uh but after the break uh, again we are going to get into dolphins Bengals. i don't want to talk about it too much because by the time if you are listening to this uh tomorrow morning you will know the result of the game but you know it's also a fun little game i like to play to see um if what the numbers have shown so far are an indication of what will happen because isn't that you know half the reason we look at stats some of the time to see if oh well this team has allowed the most points and the team they're playing has scored the most points so you presume it'll be a drubbing um simplified way of saying it but uh so we'll get into that and some interesting numbers uh how the buffalo bills a super bowl contender certainly have uh, changed a little bit of the way they're playing their offense, even if they have been one of the best offenses in all football. So all that coming after the break. The Buffalo Bills. I alluded to them uh, before the break, but they are 2-1 to start their season. And if they didn't lose to a uh, surging Miami Dolphins, one of the only one of two 3-0 teams in the league this year, along with the Philadelphia Eagles, um, you know, not not the worst team to lose to, considering how well the Dolphins have been playing. Um, the Bills are still a, a one of the top contenders to come out of the AFC and a real threat to win the Super Bowl. Um, and again, they were two and one last season to begin last season. And uh, the, what I'm referencing is an article by Warren Sharp from Fox Sports. Uh, he does uh, great breakdowns of stats like this. I thought I would bring it to uh, attention just because the bills are being talked about a lot and for uh rightly so so uh through the first three weeks of last season the bills led by an average of 12.3 points number one the nfl um very similar in 2020 is 14.3 points average lead at halftime number one in the league uh but average but that average has come down to 3.3 points of an average halftime lead through the first three weeks so they are not um, you know, getting off to as hot of a start or at least um, a, a hot of a point differential. Um, and that is because, as uh, Sharp references, uh, quote, instead of focusing on explosiveness, they're focusing on efficiency. Um, you can see that a lot through Josh Allen's stats. So air yards, so how, how far is he throwing the ball? Not necessarily um, a stat like Yak. Um, his... Uh, Air yards and early downs in the first half of games has gone down from 8.0 in 2020 to 7.7 last year to 5.5 this year. 
early down passes beyond the first down marker. The rate of that has gone down in the first half as well. 32% fifth in the NFL in 2020, 30% fifth in the NFL last year, and 21% 22nd in the league this year. And, and as, as Sharp references that um, even though they're passing the ball more, um, they are they're having more third downs because they're not throwing the ball as far. Um, uh, and but uh, because they are being more efficient and, and taking less shot plays, it's making their third downs easier, which is ultimately uh, what what you're trying to do, right? Um, in 2020, their average um, third down to go, so how many yards until to get the first down, in this case, on third downs. 2020 was 6.1 yards to go, fourth shortest in the league. Last year, 6.9 yards to go, 17th shortest in the league. And this year, 4.9 yards to go, a lot shorter. Third shortest in the league this year. And so uh, in terms of what this means, the, the Bills are, are trying to be more efficient and more consistent um, because while they have the pieces to, if it is a late-game situation, they need to make a quick drive, um, we've seen their ability to do that with Josh Allen's big arm, his ability to get outside of the pocket. It's very difficult to bring him down. And then the targets he has available. Stephon Diggs, as we referenced, has been the best receiver in the NFL this year in terms of uh, adding uh, expected points added. Um, Gabriel Davis is a real... Um, he emerged at the end of last season and in the beginning of this season as a deep play threat and a favorite target of Josh Allen. They also have Dawson Knox, who was signed to a big money extension uh, shortly before the season started, and he uh, he's a favorite target of, of Josh. Uh, he's been a big red zone weapon for them, and then they've uh, bolstered the running back room as well. Devin Singletary is still their primary guy. He's still involved in the pass and the run game. Last year, they drafted Zach Moss, more of a bulldozer, a guy to get short yardage situations, but of course... Josh Allen takes a lot of those because he's just such a unit and a force and he's so difficult to bring down. But then they also uh, brought in James Cook this year, a, a more of a passing specialist, a, a James White role, if you will, at the running back position. And uh, he's gotten some more usage now. Some of that was because, uh, uh, I believe, two Monday night footballs ago, or during week two, the doubleheader, um, the... Bills were just absolutely drubbing the Titans. So I, I, I believe Allen and Diggs didn't even play the fourth quarter of that game. They brought in their backup quarterback. I believe it's Matt Barkley. And then uh, James Cook got more of a run, um, and he performed well. But uh, him being able to get those reps is promising because, again, if the Bills find themselves down in a game uh, big or, or with a, not a lot of time left, they have the ability to rely on these explosive players and create explosive plays but they're trying not to rely on that going for efficiency and ball control and it makes a lot of sense because if you're one of the top teams in the league you want to control the ball and their defense even though they're they've had a big hit at the safety position with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde uh, one of the best safety tandems in the league have suffered injuries of their own they still have a very very solid and talented defense led by Tredavious White and Ed Oliver and Tremaine Edmonds. Uh, they also have Boogie Basham. Um, they, they've just, uh, Vaughn Miller, of course, their they're base off-season import um, from the Super Bowl champion L.A. Rams. He's been a big impact for them, and 
you know, they want to rely on how good all three facets of the team are in offense, defense, special teams. So being more efficient, having that higher ball control um, makes a lot of sense for them. It's a little different for what they've been doing, but uh, it's been very important. So uh, just a brief look at Thursday Night Football, some stats, how some of these teams rank. Of course, the Dolphins will be visiting the Bengals. Bengals wearing uh, these all-white uniforms look pretty cool, especially with the new alternate helmet rules in the league this year. They're wearing uh, a, a alternate version of their normal orange uh, with black stripe tiger helmets. They are white tiger, so white with the black stripes. I think it'll be a cool look. We'll see how those look on TV uh, on Prime Video. So looking at team stats, passing stats uh, through the first three weeks of the season, some of the best teams in completion percentage. Um, the Dolphins are fifth. So uh, Tua has been a, been a great job of being efficient with the ball. Um, now, completion percentage isn't, you know, the end-all, be-all. Number one in the league is the Seahawks. I wouldn't say Geno Smith is having a, you know, incredible season. Uh, Joe Burrow and the Bengals are more middle of the pack in terms of completion percentage. Yards per attempt. So a lot of this has to do with trying to create explosive downfield plays. The Dolphins are second in the league, nine yards per attempt where the Bengals are uh, there in, in, say, the bottom 10, 6.5 yards per attempt. They haven't been as uh, explosive with the ball. Uh, and so now looking at how their defenses are adjusting to this, so how the Bengals fare against opposing passing defenses, same thing with the Dolphins. In terms of completion percentage, uh, the Dolphins have been one of the worst teams in terms of allowing a higher completion percentage. They actually rank 7th in the league at 68.8% completion percentage allowed. And the Bengals have been very good. Third lowest completion percentage allowed to opposing passers this year at 56.2%. Third only to the Texans and the Saints. Uh, yards per attempt, too. So uh, in terms of allowing explosive plays, Dolphins have been one of the better teams in the league. Eighth in the league, 7.3 yards per attempt allowed. Bengals are in, the, I believe they are eighth in the league, 5.6 yards per attempt. Um, but again, uh, this is only through three weeks. It's a smaller sample size. The Bengals' first three games, week one, they played the Steelers. Mick Trubisky, his yards per attempt are is very low. Um, he... he he relies on on shorter and shorter passes and he doesn't have the highest completion percentage so yards per attempt would be a lower number for him week two the Bengals played the cowboys Dak prescott played a fair amount of that game but then cooper rush came in uh then last week they played the jets and joe flacco so they even had the hardest gamut in terms of opposing quarterbacks and the skill and talent they bring to the table whereas the dolphins have had uh i guess sort of the inverse of that Week one, they played the Patriots, and they held Mac Jones and company to seven points, which is a uh, impressive feat. And Mac um, is an above-average quarterback in the National Football League. Week two, the Dolphins visited the Ravens. Uh, Lamar Jackson, as we discussed earlier, is having a fantastic season, especially with throwing the football in addition to what he can do with his legs. Um, so they were able to win that game, which was important. And then uh, last week, they held the high-powered 
Buffalo Bills offense, the one we just discussed how they may be even better in terms of efficiency, uh, they held that team to only 19 points uh, last week. So the Dolphins have been doing it against better opponents. So I think that is something to keep in mind. So if let's just uh, – I'll try to predict the game. This is in Cincinnati. It's, uh, there's been a lot of chirping um, with Tyreek Hill calling out uh, Bengals cornerback Eli Apple. Jesse Bates, uh, safety for the Bengals, sort of responded to it. Um, uh, it seems like Tua is okay to play after he uh, had a bit of a violent injury last game. Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill should be good to go. Uh, both teams seem uh, relatively healthy. So I think I am going to go with the... Uh, I'll go with the Bengals because uh, the Dolphins' pass rush hasn't been anything uh, uh, crazy. I think a short week, uh, again, short week for both teams, but I think Cincinnati is going to start... They, they need to win some games. I think this is a big one for them on prime time at home. Um, their first home game after they got embarrassed in the season opener against the Steelers. I think this is one they circle on their calendar. Um, so I think the Bengals are going to show up tonight. Um, yeah, so th that is my prediction. Um, just wrapping up the show, uh, something I, I'm going to look at uh, probably for next week. Uh, we'll start getting into basketball season, looking at some stats to uh, uh, preview for the season, maybe due to uh, new personnel and how that could exchange uh, teams. Like, uh, for instance, the Minnesota Timberwolves after bringing in Rudy Gobert, they could improve their already solid defense from last year, as well as uh, college basketball teams. They have been, the Athletic released an article today, how they have been releasing, or, or rather relying on uh, statistics more and more and how that's changing uh, the way they play. So uh, we'll get into that next week. So thank you all for listening today, and uh, everyone have a good weekend.